This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back on it is Eaton. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center, and he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our show. Today we'll catch up with Matt Duffy, update his rehab. Brian Anderson will join Dave and Andy for our monthly roundtable, and we'll discuss the trading deadline with the Rays High and Bloom and Richard Justice of MLB Network and MLB.com. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our feature guest this week is Matt Duffy. And Matt, first of all, good to have you on the show. I'm sure our fans are wondering how you're doing and what you're doing at this point. Thanks for having me, Neil. Um, you know, it's it's baby steps right now. Uh, for the past few weeks, it's really been just kind of focusing on strengthening the calf and the Achilles and uh, the attachment there, and making sure that it can just handle basic calf raises, kind of thing. Um, over this past week and a half, uh, two weeks, we've been transitioning slowly to running type movements. So we've started with, you know, a really light jog, nothing really crazy, and and really I'm favoring it still a lot. But it's just to get the Achilles used to that kind of reactive movement because um, that's a little bit different kind of strength than just calf raises. So that's kind of what we've been doing and, you know, some high knees, uh, karaoke, side shuffle type stuff, and really just going through the motions again just to kind of get it used to it. And as it starts feeling comfortable with that, you kind of step up the tempo a little bit, start to try to put a little more force into the ground. And that's kind of all with tolerance and with how I'm feeling and you, it's tough because you try not to overdo it because if you take it to the point where you're done for the rest of the day with everything, um, you know, the Achilles isn't something that you can just – every step I take throughout the rest of the day is going to be working it out in, you know, a light fashion. So you got to have a really fine balance there of taking it to the point where I feel worked but not so far to where I can't do anything for the rest of the day because if I get to that point, then I'm going to come in really sore tomorrow. So – it's a balancing act. I think we're all learning throughout this process, and it's been frustrating, but I feel like I'm in a good spot. I'm just kind of taking it day by day and just being patient with it. Are you doing some baseball stuff too? And if so, what kind of baseball stuff? Yeah, everything except running and ground balls really right now. I think we've decided that if I can't run yet, I don't really have business taking ground balls until at least I get a little closer and a little better with, with running and how it's feeling because right now it doesn't matter how good I get it at ground balls because I can't run bases. So hitting is a little different because it doesn't aggravate it um, in any way, really. Uh, so I've been hitting and I've been throwing. Again, those two actions don't bother it. So uh, I can do those as much as my heart desires. And, uh, yeah, just 
trying to stay in shape with with those things until the Achilles comes along further. What's been the hardest part about this for you? Because before all this happened last, what, June, you really hadn't been injured as a professional, right? Yeah, I think I had, you know, a couple really short stints on the DL in the minor leagues, um, sprained ankle for stepping on the side of a base. I had a little hamstring tweak and I was on the DL for about a week and a half, but nothing really long-term at all. And, you know, I always prided myself on somebody who could be in there and contribute every day and grind through whatever aches and pains because everybody at this level at this stage of the season has some type of ache or pain or a little tweak here or there there are very few guys who are playing at 100 percent at this point in the season so I always prided myself on being a guy that no matter how I felt I grinded through it coach you don't have to worry about me being sore or whatever put me in there and I'm going to give you what I got that day that's I think the most frustrating part is I can't do that I can't really contribute on a daily basis like that um you know, you can watch the game and provide little things here and there to guys, but you know, it's 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 different when you're not in there grinding with them. It's it's hard to really give advice. It's hard to, you know, I guess give little pointers because, you know, they're in it. They're they're feeling all the emotions of a season, of a game, of of slumps, of hot streaks, um, and you're not feeling that. So it's hard for you to relate to your teammates in that fashion because I mean, you know, you've been there before, but in that moment. When a guy's struggling, it's it's hard to always pull him. I mean, you can pull him to the side, but it's hard to really relate to him in that moment because, you know, I understand guys get frustrated, guys get on hot streaks, and you want to be delicate around those guys. You know, you've got the coaching staff that are doing their job as well, so you don't want to overstep any bounds. But I think that's the hardest thing is just wanting to be in there and join in on the fun, and you can't. Is it easier or more difficult when the team's at home or when they're on the road and you're away from it and you're kind of not – when you're at home, you're you're trying to help, but you can't help as much as you want. I mean, that's kind of a – it's good and bad, I guess, both ways because um, when the team's at home, you know, you love being around the guys and stuff, but it also hurts more that you can't be there with them because you're seeing guys, you know, have success and um, the team have success and you want to be a part of that. When you're on the road, you're a little bit more separated from it. So um, it's better, I think, to keep you sane. You know, you don't have it all right in front of you. It's almost like – dangling a piece of meat in front of a dog you know when they're on the road that little piece of meat's not right in front of my face but um you know you also don't quite feel as part of it like you're part of the team when the team's on the road so I think there's a positive and negative on both sides of that one Matt Duffy with us on this week in race baseball do you think you'll be able to play this year and how important is it to you either way to get back on the field and know you can do this again without having to go into the offseason having not played in games? Yeah, I mean, I'm still optimistic that I can. I know the end of the season here is creeping up on us pretty quick, though. Again, I don't I don't want to have to go through another, you know, rehab assignment, setback, come back off, you know, back and forth, thing like that. So I want to make sure I'm ready when I'm ready, especially since the team's in the race. I don't, you know, I want to be able to contribute and help the team, not get on the field and hurt the team. So I, I'm optimistic. Uh, I feel pretty good right now. But I'm trying not to get my hopes up just because I understand how, you know, bodies work. Some days you feel good, some days you feel bad. Sometimes you plateau for a while before you start taking off again when you're rehabbing. So that all comes into account. And, and again, I don't if I'm at 50% hobbling around, I don't want to come back just to come back. Um, but uh, at the same time, I think it is important for me to get out there and show myself that I can play a week straight without having issues, you know, going into next season if anything, for my confidence coming into next spring training. It's almost like a Tommy John guy who has 
midseason Tommy John, it's like you kind of want to get him back out there at some point, even if it's a couple innings, just to to prove to himself that I'm okay, I'm healthy, come in next season with you know full head of steam. And I'm sure there's something to to the rigors of the fact that you've won a ring and you've been on a World Series team, and I would think that regardless of what this year has been like, you feel, and I would imagine most around the race still feel, you can be of help because of your experience, if nothing else. Yeah, I, I feel that way as well. Um, you know, I think for me, I'm a, I'm a calm player. I'm not a big get too high or too low type of guy. Whether that's good or bad, people can make their own judgments on that, whether they want to see more emotion out of players or less emotion or whatever it is. Um, I think that's preference, but I think in big situations down the stretch and playoffs, it's the team. It's not the best team that wins. It's the team who can keep their composure um, in those big situations under pressure. And I feel like I'm that type of presence. I, I don't know if I am or not. I just feel that way. And I think that kind of helps. I think really, ultimately, you want to have a balance. You want to have guys who provide energy and provide, you know, positive emotion getting up. Um, but I think you also have to have guys who, under pressure, keep their cool. And uh, I feel like I can contribute that way. I feel like if I do come back healthy or fairly healthy, I can do some damage. But, um, you know, that we'll see going forward. Who's been most helpful, uh, both within the Rays and then outside, in terms of kind of keeping you as even-keeled as possible? Because I know this has not been easy. Um, I think, you know, the... The worst time of it that I had was in spring training because I was really fighting to be ready for opening day and, you know, it started to be obvious that that wasn't going to happen. I think Alex Cobb was the one who came up to me and and basically kind of told me his story and what he went through and how he had multiple times where he had to go and see doctors post-surgery and thought he tore it again, thought he was done, never thought he would play another game again, start thinking about life after baseball type of thing, and I was there. I mean, I started thinking, okay, where am I going to go to school? What am I going to do? Like, you know, it's natural, I think, to start thinking those things when when doctors are telling you you're supposed to feel good and you look perfect. But, you know, there's something in there that's sending a pretty significant pain signal to my brain that tells me I'm not good. And him coming to talk to me and say, hey, look, you are going to be fine. I went through the same stuff, obviously a different injury, but um, it's natural. It's You're not weird for thinking these things. And it kind of came out of the blue because I hadn't talked to him a whole lot about my injury and he just kind of was observing really quietly and came up to me one day and that really helped me so also Ron Porterfield obviously um, has talked me off the ledge more than a few <laughs> times but uh, I think it's important to have those conversations and and hear guys say hey like we need you we're excited about you here still and you're our guy and but just be patient and you'll be fine and um, it's it's tough sometimes because obviously I want to be out there again like I said but you know, it is important to hear from a guy who has been there and gone through all of this that he thought the same things. Um, outside of it, I think my parents and my girlfriend have just been uh, really good at kind of keeping my mind off of negative stuff and just, hey, all you can do is worry about what you got going on that day, um, improve incrementally that day, whether it's a small improvement or a big one. But don't worry too much about little setbacks. Just keep pushing going forward what do you do when you're away from the field because you're coming here daily to rehab what do you do to occupy your mind when when you finish your rehab for the day you know we we got a dog so she's keeping us busy she's hilarious um her name's dakota but uh she's loves attention so if you're sitting there watching tv she'll literally come up and just put one of her toys on your lap and just 
put her head on your on your chin. Like, are you going to play with me? So we play with her. We've been training her, taking her through training to be a, a little service dog. So uh, that's been entertaining. That's been consuming a lot of our time. Um, I enjoy playing video games and uh, watching shows just like anybody else, binge-watching shows. Show of choice? Right now I actually just started watching Ozark. It's pretty good, about four episodes in. Um, big Game of Thrones fan, you know. Breaking Bad. We rewatched Breaking Bad because we hadn't seen it in a few years, and that was entertaining. I mean, I guess you could say I'm a mainstream show guy. I got you know, House of Cards. There's a couple others that I can't think about. Uh, Animal Kingdom just started getting into. Uh, so I mean, all over the map with different types of shows, but they entertain me. I, th- I like shows. I was talking to my girlfriend about this because I like shows because they have hours and hours and hours to develop characters, so you get more attached to them. Whereas a movie, if they've got two hours to to develop a character it's a lot harder so we enjoy that plus it's easier to devote only an hour to watching something than two and a half hours so but yeah that's kind of what i do you mentioned your dog dakota um skeeter the family cat is still in california has not made the trip to tampa bay at all i assume no he hasn't he's getting old he's i don't know 16 17 years old now he's an old cat but he's he's lost all of his uh his baby fat finally at 17 years old but he's yeah he's He's getting old and um, starting to look like an old cat now, but he's doing okay. Now, I know beyond the stuff that we talked about, the TV I mean, the TV shows you're watching, the things to keep your mind occupied, you also have been involved, too, with a couple of causes, including the Taylor Hooten Foundation. Explain the reason for getting involved, why it's important to you. I just think that, you know, performance-enhancing drugs, obviously, has been a big part of baseball history, and um, cleaning up the game has been a big mission of a lot of people not just for the integrity of the game but because it's harmful to people's health in general I remember actually reading about Taylor Hooten when I was I think I was maybe a freshman in high school it was a long time ago so when they approached me and it stuck in my brain you know it's one of those things I don't you know you remember bits and pieces from 15 years ago 10 years ago for some reason that was something that stuck in my head I read plenty of things I read plenty of things about different people and but that one really for some reason stuck. So when they came to me and asked um, if I wanted to be the representative for them for the raise, to me it was a no-brainer. I obviously am not a guy who, I mean, look at me. I'm not a big performance-enhancing drug guy. And, you know, for me to try to compete against somebody like that as well, be tough. (laughs) I'm not a naturally 240-pound guy. So that's important for me on top of, you know, all the health concerns that come with all that stuff. Anytime you introduce something foreign to your body, it's going to react in some type of way. Um, So I think there's many reasons. Um, But another side thing that they do is, you know, reaching out to kids. You can can get to them in another way other than just turning them away from performance-enhancing drugs. You can turn them towards other things, not just these are bad, but when you get to talk to them, you can – Tell them your story, what you went through as a kid, how you got to this level, what the steps, the path that you took. And I think that's everything. And you never, you never know one little conversation that you have with a kid can change the course of their life. One big thing for me when I was a freshman in, in high school, when I was a freshman in high school, you know, we went out of our way to try to get a hold of some coaches at Long Beach State to take some ground balls and just improve. And... Uh, one guy came over after practice because that's when I would take ground balls with one of the coaches, and that was Evan Longoria. Um, and we took ground balls, so we turned some double plays together. He doesn't remember it, but I sure remember it. 
and that to me was really cool. Being so so close to somebody, he had just won the Cape MVP. He would end up being the third overall pick in the draft a couple months later, and then to see him go on and do great things here, you know, that really was something that I looked up to. It's like, wow, that's you know. And then I went to long. So it's kind of like this whole process that there's little things that happen in a kid's life that lead him to where he's end up where he is going to end up going and um you know to be able to be a little stepping stone to that uh is, is huge i think well you're sending a great message and i think also in terms of your efforts to rehab we hope soon we see you on the field because i know how much that would mean to you and to this race organization continuing success in the road to recovery thank you very much Neil. that is matt duffy joining us in this week in race baseball we continue right after this you're listening to the race baseball network Neil Solon's now joined by Dave Wills, Andy Freed, and Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun as we discuss all things Rays. Guys, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Good to meet you, Neil. Let's uh, start with what's gone on the last couple days. I mean, to me, this has been kind of one of the harder Rays teams to figure out. They go from winning four out of five, scoring five-plus runs, bullpens clicking, and then all of a sudden it comes to a standstill the last two days offensively. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the offense. <laughs> there it goes. I mean, really, I, I was checking with uh, Jose Fernandez to make sure the bats got delivered from Houston. I mean, it just, uh, wow, it, it, we've disappeared. And, you know, I know that uh, there have been some people we brought up in the pregame show yesterday, maybe the fact getting in at 4.30, 5.30 in the morning uh, on Friday uh, might have had something to do with it. But we had the bases loaded twice in the game on Friday and just couldn't do it, get them in. And then yesterday we had the right guys up or so we thought with Dickerson, Duda, and Longoria with the bases loaded. And you couldn't get a run in there. So, uh, you know, I think we got to tip our cap a little bit to the uh, Milwaukee Brewers and their pitching. They've done a nice job. And, you know, hey, let's not forget that the Milwaukee Brewers are playing for something, too. They're right on the heels of the Chicago Cubs in the National League Central on the half game back. And there's a reason why they're five, six games over 500 because they're a pretty good team. How much credit do you give the pitchers and how much do you think the Rays are going through a lull? You know what? I, I definitely think they're going to go through a lull. And I think it's you know twofold. I think, number one, that first game back um, after the Houston trip, the team looked tired to me. They, they looked like a tired team um, and, and created some opportunities early. You think about the two times the bases were loaded. It was with two outs, and you got to give credit to Brandon Woodruff for making big pitches in those spots. The one that really hurt was first and third, nobody out. First and third, nobody out, and you really didn't even threaten to score there. Uh, that was tough, but I think you had a combination of a tired team, um, a guy making his major league debut that made big pitches when he needed to. You know, that concentration level was at the, the probably the highest point of his career. And so he pitched well, and they scraped up enough offense to win that ball game. And then on top of that, I think last night, Zach Davies. Zach Davies showed us something that we don't see very often in this game. Guys that don't have elite stuff, guys that pitch around 90 miles an hour, plus or minus a couple, with a good breaking ball and a changeup, but they can spot the ball. They can sequence pitches. They can move the ball in and out, up and down. Offenses nowadays, if you get a pitcher like that out there that is executing, offenses nowadays are ill-equipped to handle those types of guys because the game now is as hard as I can with an unbelievable breaking ball with tremendous spin, but I'm not sure where it's going all the time. And guys lean back and they try to launch. You get a guy that can place pitches around the zone and, and you think about those guys when they execute, 
they're every bit as dominant as any power starter you can get when you think about Jason Vargas, Alex Cobb, Zach Davies last night. Those guys pitch, and guys can't handle that nowadays. Kevin Cash and Chad Matola referred to him as a 90s guy. Yeah. There are a lot of guys when you were pitching that pitched a lot like Davies. That's absolutely right. And the difference is this, and we saw this, we were talking about it before we even came on the air. We saw this in New York. The difference is that was so prevalent, guys being able to pitch and manipulate the strike zone and change speeds, that hitters would make adjustments. Hitters don't make adjustments now, very rarely. And take, for example, the four games in New York. You've got a four-game series against the New York Yankees, and the Tampa Bay Ray pitching staff went in there, and they pitched Aaron Judge exactly the same way for four straight days, and he never even tried to make an adjustment. He never even attempted. You know, if you try to make an adjustment and, and try to go back up the middle and force them to pitch you a little bit differently, he didn't even try to do that. He just kept opening those hips and praying for something middle plate, middle in, or if it was up, it had to be up and away, and he could slap it to right field. But he gave away, down and away, for four straight days, and our guys exploited that, and you know, were able to, to do a nice job against him. But that that's the way the game is now. I got one swing in one spot, and if you don't throw it there and you change speeds, I'm in trouble. Does that kind of also hold for a guy who had a really great moment this week? I want to make sure we touch on it, and that's Austin Pruitt in Houston in terms of changing speeds and adjusting. He didn't have one pitch that blew them away. The only time I think he blew him away, he blew away Marvin Gonzalez chasing about a 90-mile-an-hour fastball up and away. Outside of that, it was a lot of mixing of pitches, like B.A. says, manipulating the strike zone, get him to reach for a little bit here, maybe back him off a little bit there, pull the string in a little bit, get a little hook on that cutter at the end there. That really is the essence of pitching. And how do you blow a guy away on an elevated 90-mile-an-hour fastball? because you've manipulated him yeah. and slowed him down enough, got him looking in other areas, that all of a sudden 90 elevated. If it was 90 elevated all the time, Marwin Gonzalez would destroy it. But you pitch, you change speeds, you slow him down, you get him looking away, you pop one up, and all of a sudden he can't catch up to 90. Like you said, the very essence of pitching. How important was what he does going forward, uh, you know, what he did for his confidence, B.A., as a young pitcher, and then maybe also put into context – how important he is right now because Blake Snow was sent down again. Yeah, I think that uh, that what Austin Pruitt was able to do going back home, you know, this was a guy that going in, I think that we probably all agree you were hoping for five innings, and if you got six, it was the – it was. If he got five, I think I was going to be here. <laughs> well, I but, thought yeah. he was going to have a hard time keeping him in the ballpark, and he did. Well, right, mm -hmm. and, and then you, you, you factor in the people there watching him, and that's what you always have to do in those types of situations. When you go back home, the toughest thing is managing emotions, and now you're trying to manage emotions and pitch effectively against the best offense in the game, and I know that Correa and Springer weren't there, but you saw it didn't matter game one with 14 runs on the board and boy did he pitch and and I mean showed that intestinal fortitude in a big spot um, with a lot of emotion you know going through his veins I'm sure he's all amped up and the way that he was able to manipulate and pitch that just proves to him and the team you know that he pitched into the seventh inning that this guy can do it and I think that that gives him a ton of confidence going forward which for obvious reasons Blake Snow going down for the second time they're going to need him he's going to need it because his next start's going to be against the Reds and that's a pretty good lineup as well. Chris mm -hmm. Sale, too, right? Yeah, not, not a bad matchup. <laughs> not an easy well, matchup. Hey, listen, he, he beat Keuchel. He that's beat right. the two lefties. Keuchel Sale. That's a great week for him. <laughs> not bad. And the other piece of this week that I thought was really important to touch on, at the deadline or right before it, the Rays really improved their bullpen. And I think the Rays won two games this week where they got five innings out of the bullpen where probably a week earlier they wouldn't have been able to do that. You know, Dave, too, we were talking about this a lot on the air. The fact that he let Sucre pitch down five runs and did not get anyone else in, although he said he would have if it had gotten to three or four, 
that might have set up the next three wins from those that bullpen, like Neil's talking about. Well, it, but it also it started right after the trade deadline. It started in that final game in New York where, you know, it got to the fifth inning and Kevin's like, you know, that's it. I, I'm not, I can't keep watching this. And so he went to the bullpen and he made some moves. He's been a lot more aggressive in going to the bullpen earlier than he was even a week before that or two weeks before that because now he's got some guys that he feels confident to get some outs in the fifth and sixth inning that he can also still have a guy to get outs in the seventh and eighth and then hand it over to Alex Colome. So, um, you know, I, I, if there's a silver lining through this uh, little uh, two-game losing streak that the Rays have had, it's been that they've been able to rest up their A bullpen here a little bit and, uh, you know, and, and now hopefully they'll be available to come into the game maybe a little bit earlier today, especially with an off day tomorrow. But, um, you know, I, I, I think this... Uh, uh, kudos to Eric, Eric and uh, company in that front office, uh, Heim and also Matt Silverman and those guys because uh, they were aggressive. They went out and added uh, a couple of arms, which you know this team has never really done in the past as aggressive as they did. And Lucas Duda has been a nice addition to the offense, and um, I, I think that they did their job. I mean, obviously you always want a little more. You probably would have loved to have been able to get a little more, but uh, I think that uh, the job that Eric Neander and company did in adding to this bullpen on the fly was pretty impressive. Yeah, considering the track record, that, that, was a, that was a huge move by the front office, but it started last winter when they were able to look at this team and say, you know what, we, we didn't have the depth last year and it got exposed. So all of a sudden they you know they go out and they get depth, they bring in Borges and Malik Smith, which obviously has helped out with Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, you know, being hurt once again, and, and hopefully he's going to come back soon, but those guys have filled in admirably and you think about that depth, and then you think about adding the, the types of pitchers that they've added. Seashek, the guy that's coming from submarine style that can get it up to 92 miles an hour with the breaking ball. You know, Dan Jennings, the herky-jerky lefty, to come in and get lefties. He can get righties, too, if need be. Sergio Romo, guy's been to three World Series. He's got three rings. The way that he can manipulate the slider, you know, and talking to him, he's like, man, I got a couple different versions. I can use them a couple of different ways, and he reads hitters to know what he's able to do. So you've got different styles down there, and it certainly gives Kevin Cash and, and Jim Hickey a, a lot more freedom to be able to make these kind of moves. Yeah, you were one of the first guys to say that you felt that this team was a playoff team. You said that, I think, even going back to late man, thinking it was in Minnesota or somewhere around there, you still feels that, feel that same way? I, I do. I do, but they they need to start to execute. You know, you need to start to put things together. They they The front office has gone out and done their job. The Rays as a team, they put themselves in the position to allow the front office to go out and, and give them something more, and now it's put up or shut up time. And I still look at this team, and the starters are still going out there. Look at the, the, the two games of the series. You know, on a normal, you know, during the normal course of the season with what the starters have done and, and in the games, you're going to you're gonna win those. or You're, you're certainly not going to get shut out back-to-back days, but offensively it's been a little hit or miss here. Um, but, boy, you still look at that lineup and you're like, there, there's trouble throughout. And you certainly expect more from them, and I think you're going to get a lot more from them. I think it's important to keep your head in the moments, too, where it's not going well. I mean, when we were in New York and losing those first three games and two of them, and then especially the one where you're like, my goodness, we should have won, I kept telling myself, and it's just because we've all done this for a while now, in a couple of weeks this is going to seem like a long time ago. And it already does. I mean, the season moves on to different chapters. There's still 50 games to go. The Rays are right there. And, Neil, it's easy for, you know, I hear some mm-hmm. of the callers sometimes on the postgame show sound like they're ready to jump ship. Let's not forget, there's still a third of the entire season left. A lot of very important games coming up. The Rays are still in a very, very good position. Yeah, and 17 against Boston, Kansas City, as well as New York. Now, you, you mentioned KK. You know, I know 
Alex has done a nice job. But how much of the Rays missing is energy level? Is kind of last thing I wanted to touch on with you guys. Oh, I, I think you know tremendously. I, I think the team has done a nice job without him. Obviously, a very stark contrast from a season ago. Um, you know that they've been able to continue to play well, but there is still something about the energy that he brings, just the way that he comes out of the batter's box, the way that he plays center field. There's just a, a, mm -hmm. a just a, an. I don't know, like an energy field that emanates from him that any team would benefit from. But you know what? It's not there right now, and that's why you're a professional. You need to figure out a way outside of Kevin Kiermaier. You cannot rely on Kiermaier to, you know, supply your energy and your zest for the game. But certainly uh, it is nice to have him around for, for a lot of different reasons. And I think he's going to be a guy, hopefully we're going to have some offense ruined by that time. You don't want Kevin to come in and think he's got to be the guy to spark the offense. But he can do that. But I think you're right. I mean, I think some of the things he can do in center field to energize not only his teammates but the crowd. And even going back to Friday, if the Rays run that relay correctly, they probably can win Friday's game. I mean, that, that Malik's overthrows the first cutoff man, Brad Miller, then kind of grenades the throw to third base. I mean, you know, there, there's those little things that you've talked about that still need to be cleaned up amongst this team if they are going to make a run. But uh, I'm, I'm anxious to get Kevin back in the lineup. And I think, too, it's allowed Malik's to kind of show, again, some of his things that he needs to work on. I think he's done some nice things. But I've been impressed with the way Peter Borges has been filling in here uh, lately. And we need to get Trevor Plouffe going a little more consistently. But it's tough to do when you're playing only once or twice a week tops. Guys, great stuff. Uh, hopefully more offense to talk about today, and uh, we'll talk to you next month. B.A. has guaranteed it. He said that there's no doubt the Rays are going to score about nine. Yeah, th this is the day that you feel bad if you're a Milwaukee fan. Uh, <laughs> you feel bad for Jimmy Nelson because there's no way you're shutting out a big league team three days in a row. I sure so hope not. give something up. <laughs> All right, that's Dave, Andy, and B.A. We continue after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Neil Solon's back with you on this week in Rays Baseball. Monday, of course, the trading deadline. I sat down with senior VP Hyam Bloom to get his take on where the team's most improved since the series of trades began in June. Well, I think you look around the roster, and, you know, overall we're, we're happy with what we were able to accomplish. Uh, certainly you look out at the bullpen and you see uh, the guys that we brought in. You know, of course, we had already added Sergio Romo a, a little earlier and then bringing in Dan Jennings and bringing in Steve Ciszek, and you saw immediately – the roles they were able to play and how that paid dividends for us. And you look at a game uh, such as the last game of the series in New York and where uh, our starter came out of the game in the fifth inning and we were able to hold on and win that game. And I think that's in large part due to the increased depth in the bullpen. You know, the, the fans, I think, probably focused a lot on the deadline day itself. How close did you come to making any other deals on that day? It was a pretty uh, hectic day, believe it or not, despite the fact that we only came out of it with one transaction. And, uh, you know, most of these, m most years, uh, the deadline is always hectic. Uh, some years you come closer than others. There were a couple uh, moves that we, we thought came fairly close and that might have had a chance to get over the line and become actual deals. Uh, none of them actually got there. They didn't get to somewhere that we thought it made sense to match up. But when we look back on, uh, you know, the whole week leading up to it and the moves we were able to make, we came out of it feeling good. I think the fan reaction was probably mo 
mostly focused at the end because they remember the most recent move and the Tim Beckham move, I think surprised fans a little bit. Can you walk us through it and explain why the move had to be made, let's say now, versus, you know, maybe you option them or keep them for the rest of the season and make a similar deal in the offseason? Yeah, and that's understandable because obviously Tim uh, has been a huge part of what we accomplished this year. And, uh, you know, without what he did in the first half, I don't think we're in the position that we're in right now. Uh, obviously, now we have more infield depth, having acquired Echeverria, uh, and with him taking over at shortstop, and we've seen what a lift that has been. Uh, you know, we thought this made the most sense, I think in part because we think this will give Brad Miller a clear lane to be the player, again, that we've seen him be in the past. And, uh, you know, we know how he can impact a game with his bat. And uh, having the, uh, the comfort and the confidence to know that he's our regular second baseman, I think he's going to be a big lift for him. And on the other side of it, uh, although he's not a marquee name, we are excited about Tobias Myers. And this is a guy that we liked quite a bit in the draft. Uh, and since he turned pro, uh, we've seen him. Uh, his velocity has gone up. His stuff has been uh, even better. And he's had a lot of good success in the New York Penn League. So it is a long-range acquisition in that he is still in short season ball. Uh, but this is another young pitcher that we think is really going to thrive in our pitching program. Does Is there also somewhat of a comfort level in Daniel Robertson as being more of a true utility player? I mean, he's done it and, and how good he is defensively at all three spots. Well, we saw, you know, throughout the season, uh, you know, so far what Robbie's been able to do and just the comfort that he has at all those spots. And it's it's very reassuring. I think it's a tough role for a young player to step into. And in some sense, not really an ideal role for a guy that young who still really uh, has some development ahead of him. And we're, we're very high on his ceiling. And, uh, you know, that, that part of it in some ways isn't ideal. So just to see how he's handled it and how he was able to contribute prior to, uh, you know, going on the DL – uh, and, and prior to Echeverria coming in and, and, and shoring things up uh, was really encouraging for his future. The period that just ended on July 31st is the non-waiver trading period. For In layman's terms, for most fans who may not understand, how does the waiver period work and why is it harder to make a deal? Yeah, just, you know, we, we talk about the trade deadline as if that's the end of any moves that, uh, that we can make, and it really isn't. Uh, it is harder to make moves in August because in order to acquire players in August, they have to go through trade waivers. And that means every, any team can put a claim in on a player, and the order of claims runs first through the league of the team that's putting the player on waivers, and then through the other league in order from worst record to best. So to acquire a player, especially if it's a player from the National League, they're going to have to get through quite a number of teams before they get to us. Uh, and if no team claims a player, then that player has cleared waivers and can be traded freely. So this is a time when sometimes you can still make some pickups that might be under the radar at times, uh, but can really pay dividends. And you look back to the uh, 2008 when we went to the World Series, we picked up Chad Bradford in August, a uh, different look for our bullpen who became a big part of our uh, postseason club. And, uh, you know, also Russ Springer the following year. Do are our needs, though, more likely here in August and even in September to be filled through the external options, uh, as you mentioned, the, the waiver trades, or looking internally at what you have? Well, it could be a good mix of both, and we're going to see how the how the month unfolds. And, you know, certainly uh, with waivers, it's not something we entirely control. Obviously, we can decide whom we want to target, but we are somewhat at the mercy of uh, who gets claimed in front of us. Uh, but as far as players from within our own system – uh, that's really a question of trying to weigh uh, their readiness uh, and our needs. And uh, you look down in Durham and you have a number of players, you know, especially on the pitching side, that have made a lot of progress, both starters and uh, in the bullpen, and some guys that have a chance to impact us down the stretch. 
You know, during the trade deadline, a lot of times you guys have helped set up your off season by some of the conversations you started in July. Was it harder to do it this year because of the fact that you were in the race? And is it less, do you almost have more work to do whenever the season does end because you couldn't have as many of those conversations? They were focused more on the now than they were on the future. You know, if it is harder, that's okay. That's something we'll take because uh, we're in the hunt and in the position we're in, uh, the main focus this trade deadline was how to make this club, the 2017 raise, as strong as we possibly could. Uh, that said, during the course of those conversations, you pick up a lot of useful information and you try to log all that information and keep track of it. And then when we come out of it, we get a chance to take a breath. And some of this we might not revisit until after the season, but you go back and look at uh, at everything you learned during that time period and all the different interest that was expressed. And it may lay the groundwork for something to happen in the off season. But for now, uh, it was actually really exciting to focus on just how can we shore up this club and give them the best chance to make the playoffs. And that is Chaim Bloom, Ray's senior vice president. That push to make the playoffs would be helped when Kevin Kiermeyer returns as KK gets set to resume his rehab. I spoke with Rocco Baldelli about why the Rays have been better without their best defender this year than last. I think it's a good question. Uh, the guys have done a, a very good job of filling in. Um, for KK's absence, it's not easy to make up for losing a guy like that, that kind of defensive player. So um, last year, we did have some issues uh, when we lost KK. And, and this year, as a group, uh, you could point to a number of different players who've really uh, made some improvements, made some adjustments, and, and really stepped up uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And, and as a group, I'm pretty proud of the way the guys have filled in. Let's start with in right field because Steven Souza Jr. has been there virtually every day and at least the eye test says he's a much better outfielder than he was last year. Where is he better? I think you could point to a, to a number of different places. I think for one, especially playing in this dome, sometimes it takes people an extended period of time to gain comfort playing in, a, in an indoor facility with a roof. I mean, this is not the easiest place to play. Uh, Steven works hard. He's, he's worked hard uh, with his throwing, actually. Um, he's also, uh, he's actually always been capable of making above average, you know, excellent plays in the outfield. It was just more of a, more a matter of consistency. Um, and he's, he's really locked it in and, and minimized any defensive lapses. I think he's been tremendous out there for us this year. And fearless too, as we saw one time in foul territory. He's afraid of, of absolutely nothing he's willing to, to sacrifice his body for his for his club and I think uh, the team and especially some of the pitchers uh, it brings a smile to their face and, and they really appreciate it we never want to see him hurt um, but uh, the the effort is definitely appreciated and in left field you guys have run a number of guys out obviously Colby Rasmus who's not going to be back but then Corey Dickerson has done a really nice job and improved his outfield play it appears yeah that the group as a whole and it's been a collective effort um, has been very good uh, Colby came in with the reputation of being a very good outfielder and it held true even dealing with the the, the physical issues that he that he dealt with um, he came in and and was very good out there from day one but Corey coming in this year in tremendous shape, moving around much better, not dealing with the health issues that he dealt with last year. He's been a, a very pleasant, not really an addition, just, uh, again, another guy that's made some, some you know, improvements to his body and, and his health, and it's, it's shown up in his outfield play. The way he's moving out there is, is significantly better than what we saw last year. 
um, and he's been a very, very solid guy out there. And, ev- and everyone else who we've had to put out there from time to time, they've done an admirable job. Peter Borges is gone in a lot as a defense replacement. He also has platooned. He came with a defensive reputation, but it seems he's gotten better and more comfortable as the year has gone on. Is that fair? Yeah, and, and again, a, lo- a lot of the discussion playing for this team defensively in the outfield has to do with playing in this building. And some people adjust uh, a little quicker than others, but there is definitely an adjustment period for every person who steps in here because a lot of the things you do naturally as a ball player your entire career don't apply here. And, and you end up things that you do without thinking about them, you can't do. And, and you have to make certain adjustments when you walk in here so um, I think Pete has been very open-minded about getting some extra work and seeing the ball in this roof I think he would say that it took uh, a short amount of time but he's he's a phenomenal outfielder and his reputation is well earned we're, we're very comfortable putting him in any of the three outfield positions at any time and, and helping us win a game what are those adjustments that an outfielder does have to make that they would do differently here that maybe they have to almost create new habits well and creating new habits is not an easy thing to do for a for a ready-made major league baseball player um, it's easier said than done but uh, most outfielders, especially good outfielders, um, when the ball's hit, you, you put your head down, you know where the ball's going, and you run to a spot, and then you pick the ball up and you catch the ball. That's what's going on when that ball's in the air, uh, usually. And when you come in this building, the first thing we say is don't take your eye off the ball, and that sounds almost like Little League uh, you know, advice, but it holds true in here. And a lot of times, if you take your eye off the ball, even for a brief period of time, and you try to pick it back up, the ball is literally gone. All you see is a big gray roof, and it's a very, very intimidating, it's a scary thing to, to have to deal with. Um, and even if you tell yourself don't look away from the ball, sometimes when that ball is hit, you basically look away even though you know you're not supposed to because it's what you've always done. Um, that's probably the number one, two, and three adjustment that we talk about with new outfielders here. Also, anything near the wall is, is especially tough because, one, you want to peek away and look at the wall and find out where you are. Also, there's no real warning track here to feel underneath your feet, so you're really not sure where you're at sometimes. So it, it poses some challenges, um, but, again, this is our home ballpark. Uh, we should be better than the opponents when we play here, and for most of the season, I think we have been. You know, Malik Smith is – uh, kind of learning on the job. What will it mean when you get KK back, and how much does it change things the way the other guys can position themselves? I think having, first of all, Malix is a phenomenal athlete, and he can do things that most players in this game can't do. He's physically capable of of uh, playing the game in a different way and at a different speed than anyone else. It all allows him to make plays in the outfield that, that other people can't make, but the same adjustments that we were kind of just discussing are the same things that you know, Malix is, is working on as we speak, and he he works hard. He wants to be good. He's going to be very good. And uh, because he has the physical ability um, and the desire to be good, um, you like working with him. So he's a, he's a great guy to be working with. Uh, knowing that KK is on his way back, and, and KK is a centerpiece for this team defensively and offensively. Uh, he's, he's a guy that a lot of guys feed off of energy-wise, too. So it's, it's almost like uh, getting some sort of acquisition, you know, late in the season. It's uh, something that we've been all looking forward to on both sides of the ball, and we're just waiting for him to get back. That is Rocco Baldelli. Now joining me to discuss the trading deadline, Richard Justice of MLB Network and MLB.com. Richard, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for having me, Neil. You know, this comes the, the week or, or six days now after the trading deadline, and obviously a lot of people like what the Yankees and the Dodgers did at the deadline, but you also, when you wrote your column earlier in the week, really liked what the Rays did. Obviously Tampa Bay did, but why did you like what they did so much? 
Well, it, you know, it was a period of six weeks. Beginning with getting Hechevarria is a big upgrade to the shortstop. Jim Palmer used to tell me that if you've got a great center fielder and a great shortstop, you're a great defensive team. So what did the Rays do? They get Ramos back. They get Echeverria, and I assume before September 1, mm-hmm. uh, Kiermaier will be back, although Peter Bird Borges is pretty darn good. So that's a big upgrade. They, they had a problem with the bullpen. They, they got three veteran relievers for the bullpen and added Lucas Duda to the, um, to the middle of the lineup. You know, they didn't spend a lot of money, but I don't know that any team has been reshaped more than this one through the course of the last six or seven weeks. Now, that said, how do you see the American League East at this point in time? Because you've got obviously three teams going for it, and Baltimore probably doesn't think they're out either. No, and I would say Rays, Royals, just to simplify it, Rays, Royals, maybe for that playoff berth, that second wild card berth, if you assume that Boston and New York are going to get two of those spots. But I wouldn't assume that because, look, when the Rays get Odorizzi back, now now you're going to have three starters. Alex Cobb is pitching great mm-hmm. you got archer you got odorizzi and then you know you figure it out with the kids whether it's pruitt or faria or or uh, snell and, and you go from there but i i there you know as, as kevin cash said we're a lot better and so you, you get to go play now and find out and certainly is going to create a, a very interesting final couple months of this season. I'm curious your take since you're down in Houston, Richard, and we're chatting again with Richard Justice of MLB Network and MLB.com. I know they're missing Correa. I know they're missing Springer. Um, what's your take on them in the postseason since they only added Liriano at the deadline? Yeah, they were disappointed by that. Obviously, Dallas Keiko was disappointed mm-hmm. about that. What has to happen now? You know, forget the division. That that'll They're being very conservative. Uh, the bullpen is battered. It's been the worst in baseball since the All-Star break. They need to get their second-best reliever back, Will Harris. They need to get their 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 All-Star setup guy, Davinsky, straightened out. And then you need to get Correa, Springer, and McCullers back. So they got a lot of work to do. By the middle of September, if they're if they knew by the middle of September that McCullers, Keuchel, Correa, Springer, Harris, and that's a lot, mm-hmm. if those guys were all healthy and playing the way they did earlier, they take their chances just with the club that they have now. You know, they pennant, trade deadline acquisitions are both energy charges for the clubhouse, emotional charges, messages to the fan and fans and to the players. But they do fill holes, and the, and the Astros have some holes now. I mean, they needed they needed help in the bullpen probably even more than they needed a Jose Quintana or Yu Darvish. Are they vulnerable to you in the postseason to because of that bullpen? Obviously, they're going to have a great regular season. They're going to win the division. I don't think anyone questions that, barring something unforeseen. But are they? Which team are they most vulnerable to uh, when the playoffs come? Well, I would say they're probably going to end up playing the wild card team, and so that would be Kansas City, Tampa, Yankees, Boston, somebody like that. And you know, the way Kansas City's bullpen is performing lately. Uh, they're a team you don't want to play the way Hosmer and Mostakis are hitting. You don't want to play them. I think the Yankees and the Rays, given the, all the changes, they're, they're both sort of a work in progress. They're going to see how it's work, it, working out. But if if Keiko and McCullers are at their best, uh, the Astros are, are, are in a good spot because they'll get them into the seventh. And I think, despite everything, I think they still feel good that Davinsky Harris, if he's back and they're confident he's going to be back, Davinsky Harris and Giles will get those last seven, eight, nine outs. 
And the Rays are in this sequence where they're seeing all these outstanding teams in a row, uh, the Yankees, then Houston, obviously Milwaukee right now, and then Boston and Cleveland. What's your take on Cleveland to this point? Um, obviously the injury to Andrew Miller earlier in the week and Josh Tomlin impact that ball club going forward a little bit. Yeah, I thought on the first day of the season they were the only perfect team in the American League. Now Miller is out, Tomlin. There's been ups and downs. Salazar has frustrated them at times. Uh, I think potentially they're the team, they're the best team in the American League, but they haven't pitched like it. And uh, but the way, a lot of it comes down to who sets the tone in Game One. So they're going to hand the ball to Corey Kluber, and nobody's nobody in the American League has a better number one starter than that. But there's, you know, when you go through a season and flaws keep coming up, you really want to see a turnaround in September. You win in October when you're hot, when you're a, when you're healthy, and when you're playing well at the end of the season. We've seen that time and again so you know to be determined and your thoughts on baltimore i know a lot of the national media were surprised they didn't sell off they went for it they added beckham they added jeremy hellickson two former rays i mean do they have enough in the tank to make this interesting or are they putting themselves in a bigger hole in the future well you know the toughest thing you can do in sports is scout yourself and so the the astros thought they had a deal for zach Britton, but anybody who thought that doesn't know how Peter Angelos operates that ball club. There are three guys that they, I think that would mark a big step back, and they're not ready to take that step back, trading Machado, trading Adam Jones, and trading Britain. And I think they look at it like, look, we got Gosman, we got Tillman. Uh, well, we may not have Tillman. <laughs> we got Gosman, we got Bundy, and Hellickson going forward, hopefully, and we still are in a win-now mode. I mean, I think as long as, as, long as they have Machado and Britain, uh, they're going to keep trying to win. But do I think they made the right decision to hold on to him? Trading a Manny Machado, you know, in Baltimore, they haven't had many players that good through the years. Mm-hmm. That's a big step. And you, I think you hope against hope until the end that you can retain him, even though his agent, Scott Boris, makes it pretty clear that the, that the market determines the player's value. Richard, it's going to be a very interesting final couple months. I certainly appreciate you sharing your thoughts, and I welcome our uh, listeners to read them as well. Thanks very much for coming on the program. Thank you for having me, Neil. And thanks to Richard Justice and all the guests on the show today, infielder Matt Duffy, Dave Andy, as well as Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun, senior vice president Hyam Bloom, and also Ray's first base coach and outfield instructor, one Rocco Baldelli. Hey, Steven Sousa Jr. is inviting you to join his Fantasy Football League for charity. Draft alongside Steven and his teammates at Tropicana Field August 18th for bragging rights and prizes. Visit bigleagueimpact.org to sign up. Who will you take with your first pick? You know, if you ever have something you want to hear on this show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Thanks to my producer today, Trey Downey, Neil Solons, next week, Steve Ciszek, and much more. Stay tuned. The pregame show is coming up. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network.